Bonjour tout le monde. Uh, chaque dimanche, j'offre une question. Every Sunday, we offer this question. Uh, whenever we get ready to study God's word, I ask you, est-ce que vous êtes prêts? Are you? Uh, let me make sure the mic's up loud enough. I'm not sure. That, here we go. Let's try this again. I, I, I want to just make sure you're ready. Because for some of you, this has been the first time you've been in church in 2020. Because of weather, ice and snow and whatever. And, and, and you are hungering for a word from God today. And so here's, here's your opportunity to express that to the Lord. How many of you are ready to study God's word today? <laughs> Excellent. Well, this weekend, we had a wonderful time here on Saturday morning. And uh, Saturday morning, yesterday, here at the church for three hours, we had a Bible seminar where we learned more about Israel and the foundations of our faith and uh, ancient times and modern times and how to read the Bible in its context, and it was fantastic. And that was because many of you were there, but it was also because of our presenter. I don't want to call Steve Lennox a guest because he's more like family around here. He lives just down the road in Sussex, the president of Kingswood University. And he's been a friend of this church as we partner together with Kingswood in raising up a next generation of kingdom leaders. But he's also been a very close personal friend. And uh, we've been to Israel together uh, over the years, and we're leading a, a team. Many of you are coming uh, with us in March again for a trip to tour the Holy Land and learn the Bible in its context. And what I love about Steve is that he is brilliant, but he loves God and he loves people. And uh, I, I just wish, I think you'll agree with me, that I could kind of like a software upgrade, you know, just hand a USB stick and stick it in your brain. I wish I could download half of the information that he knows about history and the Bible and the original languages, and I think you will be blessed by the word from the Lord today. Would you welcome our good friend, Dr. Stephen Lennox? Thank you, man. Appreciate it. It is great to be back with you. Take your Bibles or your devices and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 15. And while you're turning, let me just uh, say several things about Kingswood University. Many of you know about Kingswood. For those of you who don't, as you're driving past Sussex on the highway, that great big church up on the hill, that's us. That's our chapel, where we have chapel services twice a week. Um, and Moncton Wesleyan Church has been for years one of our largest supporting churches. And so let me just say thank you for the faithfulness that you've demonstrated in uh, helping to provide and invest in our students. We are a Bible college, which means that uh, we are fully accredited by the province and by the Association of Biblical Higher Education to offer degrees. We have a gap year program for those who are seeking to ground themselves in the faith and discover who God's made them to be. We have two-year and four-year programs. Our programs are focused on ministry, which includes pastoral ministry, like that of your own staff, but also ministry more broadly defined, because we believe that every one of us can have a ministry. We can have a ministry in our homes. We can have a ministry at our workplaces. We can have a ministry with our families as grandparents or aunties and uncles. 
You can have a ministry. And it's helpful to have preparation, content, understand the Bible, theology, develop skills, and especially your disposition, your character. Kingswood is great at helping our students be shaped by the Spirit. Beautiful. I get a chance to talk to our students regularly, interview them, and to hear what God is doing in their lives. It's so encouraging. And so if you know someone like that who would, who would benefit from a one-year or a two-year or a four-year program at Kingswood, let me just encourage you to stop out at the table in the foyer and say a word to my wife or me, and we can be in contact with that person. You may just want to know more about how you could be a part of the ministry that we have, how you could help to support it, and there's literature out there as well. We, every fall, we take a trip. We call it a vision tour, and this year's vision tour is going to be a fall foliage cruise that leaves from Boston and comes back up this way, all the way up to Newfoundland. So uh, if you're interested in that, we've got literature out there. Well, I'm talking a lot because I want to make sure you're in Romans. Are you in Romans? You're in Romans 15? Good. Let's look at verses 1 through 13. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We should all please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are present in this room and you're present to teach us. We open our hearts and our minds to you today to do just that. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It seemed to me that on a moist midwinter morning in the Maritimes, a good topic to talk about might be hope. Hope may be the only thing that gets us to April or May or June, whenever winter decides to leave. We need hope. Hope is essential. I think we're hardwired to hope, actually. Alexander Pope put it this way. He said, hope springs eternal in the human breast. And that's a good thing, because about the worst thing that you can say about a situation is that they have given up hope. 
I think we're made to hope. I think God made us so that we would always be hoping for more, so that we would find our hope satisfied in him. We were made to hope. But if you haven't already noticed, hope is not easy to hold on to. It's not easy to carry. You can have all the reasons for hope in your head, and you face a situation, and you look around, and that hope has slipped through your fingers. Can I get a witness? I mean, carrying hope is like carrying a slimy fish. It's like, it's like trying to carry a suitcase through the airport with a handle broken. It's like, it's like trying to carry a mattress by yourself. Oh, that there were handles for hope. And that's what this passage talks about. The fact is that there are handles for hope. Listen to verse 13 again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there are handles for hope and those handles are provided for us by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul tells us here. Now, how does the Holy Spirit provide us with hope? Well, I think there are two ways we're going to talk about this morning. And the first one is staring you in the face. Not me, your scriptures. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 tells us that God has provided the scriptures for us to give us hope. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Where do we get hope? The Spirit gives hope to us through the scriptures. Now how? How is it that by reading this word, you and I come to possess hope? Well, one way, one way that the scriptures provide hope for us is by challenging false hopes. I'm not talking about slim hopes. Hope that hangs by a thread. That would be the hope that the Ottawa Senators would win the Stanley Cup. That would be a slim hope. It's not impossible, but it's highly unlikely. But I don't think God minds slim hopes. Professional sports wouldn't exist without them. But sometimes a slim hope is the only hope you have, it feels like. I'm not talking about the Bible shifting aside slim hopes. I'm talking about the Bible removing false hopes. These are hopes that you and I have no business hoping for. If hope has two enemies, one is despair but the other is presumption. Despair is when we give up hope. Presumption is when we put our hopes in things that we have no business hoping for. Like what? Well, here's a false hope that the Moncton Wildcats would win the Stanley Cup. Now, I don't know. The Moncton Wildcats seem to be doing pretty well this year, but it is impossible for the Moncton Wildcats to win the Stanley Cup because they're not in the National Hockey League. 
They could be the best team in their league, but they would never make it to the Stanley Cup. They could win the President's Cup, but they can't win the Stanley Cup. So it would be a false hope to hope that that happens. That would be presumptuous on the part of the Moncton Wildcats and its fans. So what's a false hope that we have? Well, I'll tell you one that's awfully pervasive, and that is that life should be problem-free, that everything should come out fair, that everybody should live happily ever after. That is a false hope. I was thinking of this in preparation for my morning together with you. My mind went to the words of a hymn I don't think I've ever heard sung, but somehow the words stuck in my head. It's an old hymn. And one of the verses goes like this, God hath not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. Those words written by Annie Johnson Flint tell us that it's a false hope to believe that we can live a life without challenges, without problems. But but where does Annie Johnson Flint get off telling us what our lives should be like? Well, the Bible tells us that. The Bible makes it very clear that that's a false hope. My life verse, John 16, 33, begins, In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. The Apostle Paul, you've heard of him, author of more than half the New Testament, greatest missionary, one of the greatest teachers of the Bible that ever lived, had a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn was, but we know that Paul was awfully eager to get rid of it. He saw it as as holding back his ministry, and he prayed to God to remove the thorn. He prayed three times, and what did God tell him? No, no, no. Think of the book of Hebrews. That 11th chapter, after all those great heroes of the faith, the writer of Hebrews just piles a bunch of heroes together, a bunch of anonymous, unnamed heroes, and he says they were tortured and imprisoned and sawn in half and killed with the sword, and they lived destitute and persecuted. And you're saying, Steve, I'm depressed enough already in midwinter maritime. This is so discouraging. Well, I don't know that it's discouraging. I do know that it's realistic. The Bible is a realistic book, paints a realistic picture of what life is like. And actually, we're better off with a realistic picture than with a false hope. At least if I've got a realistic picture of what life is supposed to look like, then I can evaluate my options. But if I have a false hope, then I'm living in a dream world. I mean, which would you rather have if you were on a boat? No anchor? Or an anchor that you threw overboard and the rope came untied? Now picture those two boats. The Bible describes hope like an anchor. Picture those two boats. On the one boat that knows it doesn't have an anchor as it's approaching the rocks, it can do something. The people on the boat can put on their survival suits. They can call for a mayday. They can do something. But the people who think they have an anchor but don't have an anchor are going to be unprepared when that boat hits the rocks. 
So it may seem like it's hard news, but it's good news to know that in this world we will have trouble. It's good news that the Bible clears the decks of these false hopes. But it doesn't just clear the deck of the false hopes, does it? It actually replaces the false hopes with true hopes. The Bible is filled, according to the the Apostle Peter, with great and precious promises. And I thought as I was preparing, how can I possibly, in a few minutes, encapsulate all these precious promises that God provides, these true hopes? And then I thought of that same hymn that I quoted just a minute ago. The chorus goes like this. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the weary, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. The Bible is filled with true hopes for you and me as believers. Everything we need, God provides for us. God gives us what is good. You say, I don't, it doesn't feel good when I get that diagnosis, when I hear that word. Everything that God gives to us is good. He can turn it for our good and his glory. He can give us what we need to bear up under that. And he will never, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, never give us more than we can handle. That's a promise. How do I know the Bible tells me that? The Bible tells me that he's never going to leave me that he's never going to forsake me. I know that's true because that's what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me that I don't have to settle for slim hopes and even faint hopes and little hopes. There's an ultimate hope. If you still have your Bible open, look at verses 11 or 8 through 12. You see, God hardwired us to hope because as St. Augustine said, In prayer to God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. God has made us, hardwired us to hope because he knows that the thing we need most is a relationship with him. That's what you and I were made for, and we will never find true peace unless we find ourselves in relationship with God. And this is what verses 8 through 12 are talking about. They're talking about a God who understands that you and I were made to be in relationship with God and can't be happy without that. But that God sent Jesus in fulfillment of these promises to you and to me so that we could find ultimate hope. We were never meant to live on the slim hopes that occupy our lives. We were never meant to live only on those little hopes, hopes for for a happy family, hopes for a warm home, hopes for a good job. Those are all good things. Go ahead and hope for those things. But you weren't made for those things. You were made for something more. You know this is true. You were wanting that thing, whatever it is, you were wanting it, you were wanting it for years. From the time you were a kid, it was that toy that you wanted more than anything. And 15 minutes after you opened it, you were looking around for something else. And the only thing that changes is the cost of the toy. Oh, if I could only marry her, I'd be happy. Oh, if I could only have that job, I'd be happy. 
If I could only have that car, I'd be happy. If I could live there, I would be happy. And what happens? See, we were made for hope. That's good. But we were never made for little hopes. We were made for an ultimate hope. And if we have that ultimate hope, it makes sense of all the little hopes while it eliminates the vain hopes. Can I get a witness? And the Bible tells us about this ultimate hope. It tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting human sins against them, but bringing them into relationship with him so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is our ultimate hope. And the Bible tells us not only that we need it and that it's available about how to get it. This is what God does for us in his word. He gives us hope, the ultimate hope. But even better, he introduces us to the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. God of hope. The God who wired us for hope. The God who is the object of our hope. The God who fulfills our hope. This is what the Bible introduces us to. Every so often I'll get these emails from people I don't know. They say something like this. So-and-so has died. He was a very wealthy man. And he is determined to leave all his money to you. All you need to do to get all this money is to give us some sensitive banking information. And when I see that email, my hand can't move fast enough to the delete key because I know it's a scam. And some of you are getting real nervous right now. But I've also gotten a phone call not too long ago from a donor. You understand, I'm a, I'm a university president. Most of my job is spent trying to find donors to support the ministry that we have. But I delete one email and I pick up a phone call from a donor and I hear this donor say, I understand that these three Haitian students that are now students at Kingswood, that their funding has been provided for living expenses, but the school is going to absorb the cost of their educational expense. I said, that's true. And this donor says to me, I'll pay for it all. What did I do? I thank that donor from the bottom of my heart. I hung up that phone and I went and told the people in my office the great news. What made the difference? Why did I delete the one email that promised me millions and overflow with thanks when the donor called? Because I knew the donor. I knew the donor. I knew the donor knew us. I knew the donor had the capacity. I knew the donor had the interest. And that's what made the difference. And that's what makes the difference when we study the word of God and we get to know the character of God and we realize the love of God for us. We realize the lengths that God has gone to demonstrate that love for us. We realize how God has made himself available to us and has promised us these great and precious promises. The difference in hope is made because we know the God of hope. And that's what scripture does for us. So are you in the word of God? You say, I'm running out of hope. Are you in the word of God?
Are you spending as much time in the Word of God as you are on Facebook? Facebook is a hope drainer. Why? Because it pictures people having the perfect life when they don't. And you evaluate yourself against them in their perfect life and your hope just drains out through the floorboards. But Scripture... Scripture fills us with hope. It clears the deck of vain hopes and it fills us up with true hopes and it points us to the ultimate hope and it introduces us to the God of hope. But the scriptures do one more thing for us. Listen to me, listen to me because I don't want to be misunderstood. The scriptures tell us that scriptures are not enough. I'll say that again. The scriptures tell us that the scriptures are not enough. Now, before you stone me for a heretic, tell me what came down on the day of Pentecost. Gideon Bibles or the Holy Spirit? Yes, see, how does the Holy Spirit give us hope? Well, one great, incredible way is through Scripture, but the second is through the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is given to you. Are you a believer? You have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe me, read Romans 8. You have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is within you multiple times through the New Testament. This is the way it's described. The Holy Spirit isn't just with us. It's in us. Now, I'm not a radiologist, but I've never seen the Holy Spirit between my large and small intestines. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is within us? Well, if the Holy Spirit is within us, that means wherever I go, the Holy Spirit goes with me. Whatever I think, the Holy Spirit knows it. So right now, where you are right now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, just stop for a second and realize that the Holy Spirit is with you right there where you sit. That's what the Bible says. And if he's within you, he's not only with you all the time, he has access to your mind. And so if there are false hopes there in your mind, he has access to your mind and to the word of God, and he can point out from the word of God that that's not a true hope, it's a false hope. And if you begin to despair, the spirit of God can bring the true hopes to your mind because he's within you. And if he's within you, then he has the capacity to shape your will and your actions so that instead of fear, instead of doubt, instead of anxiety, instead of watching hope slip away, if the Spirit of God is within you, the Spirit of God can be producing joy and peace and hope within you to overflowing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. See, when it talks about the power of the Spirit, we sometimes think it's miracles and sign gifts, and I have no problem with those, but I'll tell you what the Spirit really wants to do is to turn his power loose in our lives to produce joy and peace and hope. That would be power, to change our fearful, doubting, anxious hearts into hearts that are overflowing with hope and joy and peace. There'd be power. There'd be power. 
And this is what the Spirit wants to do. Notice verse 13. It isn't just joy and peace. It's all joy and peace. Now, if I'm reading that right, what it says is that the Spirit can work in my heart with such power, can work in your heart with such power, that your natural response to that news that you never wanted to hear, those circumstances you could not imagine yourselves being in, that situation you'd love more than anything else to be out of, God can in those situations produce the most natural response being joy and peace and hope. Of course, we have to trust. That's the only thing in verse 13 we have to do. Trust. Trust that the word of God is the truth. Trust that the spirit of God is really within us. Trust that the spirit of God can really make us anxious for nothing and full of all joy and peace. You say, Steve, really? Really? Let's get real here. Can that really happen? Well, if it can't, then Paul's got some explaining to do. But in fact, there are examples all around you of this happening. I mentioned Annie Johnson Flint, the poet, a few minutes ago. She's better known for another hymn. Annie Johnson Flint was orphaned Lost her mother at age three. Her father sent her off to live with another family. She came as a young girl to faith in Christ, but as a young adult, she was diagnosed with arthritis. And in those days, they didn't treat arthritis as they do now, and she ended up crippled and bedridden and died in pain. But Annie Johnson Flint wrote another hymn, better known. It's called, He Giveth More Grace. He giveth more grace As the burdens grow greater He sendeth more strength As the labors increase To added affliction He added his mercy to multiply trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary, no is not just for midwinter. Listen, listen. Hope is not just for a moist morning in midwinter maritimes. Hope is for all year long. Hope is for every day. 
Hope is for every minute of every day. The Holy Spirit has come to give us hope. He gives it to us through His Word, and He produces it from within. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we need your hope. We need your hope. We need to be overflowing with hope so it spills out into a hopeless world. We thank you for what you've given to us in your word and your spirit. May we overflow with hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.